Good morning. Well, it looks like the bulk of you are going to get a second round, a second dose, or after Sunday school, may I, maybe I should say the second barrel, after I've already shot one barrel, here comes the second barrel. Uh, it's good to see y'all. I hope y'all, um, as I mentioned earlier, I hope y'all have had a happy Christmas and season and have a happy New Year's one. And uh, thankful for this opportunity to be with you this morning to get to preach. Brian, bless his heart, suffering for Jesus down in Florida at Disneyland. <laughs> and so uh, we miss his family. And, uh, and uh, I'm thankful that, it, that he's given me this opportunity, that Todd has given me this opportunity today to look with you in the book of Acts. So we're going to be shifting gears from Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9. Lord willing, we're going to finish out chapter 9, looking at verses 32 through 43. I'll go ahead and read that as you're turning there in your Bibles. This is Luke writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He pens, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Title of the sermon today is Peter, Some People, and God's Purposes. Because that's the characters, if you want to call them that, the people, the players of what we're going to see taking place throughout this text, the people involved. So Peter, some people... In God's purposes. Now, as we look at Acts, I want to remind you uh, real quickly, briefly, about what we see taking place throughout the book of Acts. The book of Acts technically could be called the Acts of the Apostles because we're looking at their actions, the Acts of the Apostles uh, here that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as they're going out and they're bearing witness of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And they're doing this to both Jews, and then they're expanding the horizons. They're going also to the Gentiles. And as the gospel goes out, the church is growing. So that's what we see is the expansion of the church throughout the book of Acts. Now, some of these acts of the apostles 
are miracles. And we're going to be seeing that in the text we're looking at this morning. And what these miracles did that were performed by the apostles, they helped to accomplish the spreading of the gospel, the expansion of the gospel into the Gentile world, and also the growth of the church. So these miracles helped to advance the gospel forward. So coming back to chapter 9, uh, over the past several sermons that we've looked in Acts chapter 9 is talking about a totally different person. We've looked at the conversion of Saul, uh, the conversion of Paul, and what takes place here in verses 32 through 43 is it shifts, the story shifts from Paul, or, or, or the zoom lens zooms out on Paul, zooms back in on Peter following Paul's conversion, and, and we're looking at the ministry of Peter now again He's last mentioned in Acts chapter 8, verse 25. You don't have to go there. And what we see him doing there is he's preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans as he returned to Jerusalem. So that's where we last left Peter. And then in verse 32 and following, we see where Peter begins to witness outside of Jerusalem. Look back at verse 32. It says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, as he visited the saints... Now, when he's talking about the saints, he's talking about Christians. He's speaking of believers. So as Peter went here and there among them all, as he visited the saints in various places, and the various places that he's visiting these Christians and saints is along the coastal plain of Judea that's known as Sharon. Your Bibles may have a little map in it, and you'll see this area known as Sharon. And it says, he came down also to the saints, to the believers who lived at Lydda. Now, back in the Old Testament, Lydda is referred to as Lod. Same place, Lydda and Lod. It's about 23 or so miles northwest of Jerusalem. And Scripture says here that in Lydda he found, that is, he either sought out or came across a man named Aeneas. Now, commentators... Uh, don't necessarily agree, big shock. Some say that he was already a believer at this time based on the context because who did it say that Peter went down to visit in Lydda? The saints, the Christians, and so he comes straight to this man named Aeneas. Others say that he wasn't a believer initially at this point, and so do we know that for sure? No. Um, do we know that he's saved in the end? Yes. But either saved now or saved in the end, we're going to see that he was miraculously saved by the, the mighty work and the power of God in multiple ways. It says, Peter came down to the saints, and so he was coming down to visit them, and he comes across this man named Aeneas who had been bedridden, according to Scripture, for eight years, and he was paralyzed. So this we know. We don't know how he got in that state. Did he have a fall? Did he have an accident? Was he sick? Did he get it otherwise? We don't know. But what we do know is his paralysis had caused him to be bedridden for eight years. So modern medicine couldn't heal him, or modern medicine at that time couldn't heal him. He couldn't be helped. And it appeared that that was going to be his lot to just be in a bed for the remainder of his life and to die in that paralyzed state. But notice what Peter does. It says, But Peter said to him, Aeneas... Jesus Christ heals you. Now, it's extremely important to know the subject who Peter begins with here. He acknowledges that he is not the healer, not he himself personally. 
He says, Jesus Christ heals you. So God should receive the glory of what's about to take place, not him. God gets all of the glory. And look at what Peter does. It says, Peter then commanded Aeneas to rise and make your bed. So when we read this, maybe if you're familiar with the Gospels, you say, hey, that, that sounds similar to an event that we know that took place there. Uh, when Jesus himself had spoken to a paralyzed man during his earthly ministry, and if you would, open your Bibles or turn back in your Bibles to, to the Gospel of Luke. Now, we know Luke wrote Acts, and so Luke had already mentioned this similar uh, scenario in Luke 5, 17 through 26. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading here. On one of these days, or on one of those days, as he, Jesus, that is, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. And this is key because this is still what's being evidenced in Acts, that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So in both accounts, if you were to put both of these accounts together and see the parallels in Luke and Acts, we see that they're similar, definitely. Both of these accounts have similar results. Both paralytics were commanded to rise, to get up. Both were commanded to make your bed or to pick up the stretcher. It literally means to roll up your mat or prepare yourself. So point one, it is biblically mandated that you make your bed. Right? Did y'all see it? It's right in Scripture. Make your bed. Context is key, right? No, he told them and him to make their bed, but, but not necessarily us. Though it is a good idea, wink, wink. Kids, everybody, make your bed. But notice in both cases how they were healed, and this is important too, it was not something gradual, immediately. Immediately they were healed. Immediately they rose, they got up and picked up or cleaned up what they'd been lying on. In both cases they had been healed physically by the power of Jesus Christ and healed spiritually by the power of Jesus Christ. He had the power to forgive them of their sins and he in fact had as he saved them also from their physical paralysis. This is all done by the grace and mercy of God Almighty. We see that they expressed their faith. How? Because they did what they were commanded. They obeyed what Jesus said, what Peter had said, and what Jesus had said through Peter to 
obey, to rise, to stand up, and to make their beds. And so um, God's glorified in this. So you have Peter, you have this person, and the purpose of God is to save this person, and also that he would be glorified by those that saw the miraculous power of God demonstrated to these paralytics. So the result in both cases were that many others, you can look back in Acts, go back there now, um, we can see that the result was that many others believed and that God received all of the glory. Verse 35 says, And all the residents of Lydda, all the residents of Sharon saw him. They saw this man that they knew had been paralyzed for eight years. They saw him walking around, healed, and it says, And they turned to the Lord. Now, when we read that word turned, it means they went the other direction. They repented. They were going one way. They had a change of heart, mind. They had a change of will. And they started to follow Jesus. So they repented and believed and were saved spiritually as well. So here's, here's one point, obviously, that we can see here is God, Jesus, had, He has power over sickness, both physical sickness and spiritual sickness, because He heals the man Aeneas of both of these in both of these ways and heals others spiritually following his physical healing. In verse 36, we read, Now there was in Joppa, so we're already in a new location. Joppa, Lada is, or Lod is on the road going up to Joppa. Joppa is this important seaport in Judea and this area is known as Sharon. It's along the Mediterranean Sea. It's northwest of Lada or Lod. And it says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple. Now I do need to point out this word disciple is interesting because it's the only time in the whole of the New Testament where a woman is referred to by disciple. This is the feminine version of the Greek word masculine used for disciple. Disciple means follower. And so there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Tabitha is the Aramaic form which translates in Greek to Dorcas. Now, for one thing, you can be thankful that you didn't have that name in the 80s because you remember in the 80s you'd call people a dork. It was bad to be a dork, but hey, if you got called that then or Dorcas, Dorcas now, that's a compliment because... Dorcas was a godly woman. Tabitha, Dorcas, that, those terms in Aramaic and Greek, they both mean gazelle. So Dorcas, Tabitha, the gazelle, she was full of good works and acts of charity. So what, is, what, what are we seeing here? She was a godly woman. She was a virtuous woman. She had been saved by the grace of God. As a result, she evidenced her salvation by good works and acts of charity, acts of love. Now, we're going to see that some of these key acts of love that she displayed to the believers were two widows, which James 1.27 says that pure and undefiled religion in the sight of the Lord is this, is to visit widows and orphans in their distress and to remain unstained, undefiled by the world. So she, she was demonstrating this pure and undefiled religion in the eyes of God by ministering to these widows. It says in verse 37, 
In those days she became ill. So during her lifetime, during this ministry that she had among widows and the other believers of the church, as she followed Christ, that she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now immediately you should say, hey, something's up with this. Why didn't they put her in a tomb? It's because they knew something and they desired something. They knew who Peter was. They knew where Peter was and they knew what they were going to seek to have Peter come and do by the power of God. And so it says, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, the other believers, they're hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So we can see this in our mind's eye playing out, these men going to get Peter. And it says, so Peter rose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to this upper room where Tabitha, where Dorcas was laying. And here's where we can see some, uh, uh, get a glimpse of the ministry that she had at the church that she was at with these believers that she was with. It says, all the widows stood beside Peter weeping, stood beside him weeping and showing t- tunics, these garments that Dorcas had made while she was with him. So she probably no doubt made these tunics, these dresses, this clothes for the widows. She made it for the other people that she had made for other believers, for other people. And so uh, so she had a ministry, we could say a women's ministry in this sense where this lady was ministering to other women, namely widows. And so see, it's no insult whatsoever to be called a Dorcas because she was a very influential woman, a godly woman who exhibited her love of Jesus and Christianity with how she lived and how she loved others. But it says that Peter, verse 40, put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. Now, key to note again is that the words that Peter would utter have in and of themselves no supernatural power. Peter had no power. He's Bending down, he's kneeling to pray because it's God who has the power. And it's God's word who has the power. It was Christ working in and through him that displays his power. So uh, Peter kneels down and he prays. He's no doubt seeking the Lord's will. Uh, God, your will be done. And so... He was praying alone, and either as he was praying or after he prayed, we see here in verse 40 that Peter turned to the body of Dorcas and said, now when he says this, we need to understand that this is actually a command. He's commanding, he's speaking authoritatively, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. So again, there was no supernatural power in Peter's words. The power was of God in Jesus' words. And in fact, guess what? Big surprise. We can see another example of this, a very similar event that had occurred during Jesus' earthly ministry that Peter himself had actually got to witness Back in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, and then verse 35 through 42. So turn in your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21 and going to 24. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet 
and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Now, we're going to skip what actually takes place as this when the woman with the issue of blood touches his garment and, and she's healed in the meantime as, as he's heading to, heading to Jairus' daughter to heal Jairus' daughter. But pick back up in verse 35, following that healing. It says, while he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, there he is, and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kuma, which in Aramaic would have sounded very similar to Tabitha Kuma. Talitha Kuma, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, there it is again, immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Now, it says in verse 43, he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. That has to do with the Jews wanting to rise up a Messiah as someone in power. So that's what that's dealing with. But notice the difference in that last part in verse in in Acts, the Acts verses. Now, to put these up to compare and contrast them again, both Mark and Acts accounts are similar. Both have similar results. Both of the deceased were commanded to arise. You even have the same scenario. You come into the house, people are weeping, people are crying. And all the people are told in both accounts to get out, to, to leave them alone. And both are commanded to arise, Talitha, Tabitha, Kuma, arise. And both did as they're commanded. So there's the faith again. They respond in obedience to the command of Christ, Christ and then Christ given through Peter, the apostle, and they both were taken by the hand. They both are miraculously healed. They're both miraculously helped. They're both miraculously raised from the dead. They're both resurrected, and it happened immediately. Now, the Greek verb for raised up used here is the same exact word that's used throughout the New Testament for Jesus' resurrection. And though both the girl and Dorcas would die again, they were healed. At this point, they were going to die again. What this would have done was their rising from the dead by the power of Almighty God served them and should serve us as a reminder to all Christians of our promised resurrection. One day we too will rise from the dead to be with Christ. It reminds us of our future hope of glory and glorified bodies. And so the point here, second point, I guess, if point one was God has, if Jesus has power over physical, 
uh, sickness, over spiritual sickness, then here we see that God, that Jesus had and has power over death, both physical death and spiritual death. Both the girl and Dork, in Mark and Dorcas in Acts were presented to those present alive and the people's reaction was that they were amazed and as a result in both cases, many believed. So we see this again. Here's Peter coming to Dorcas and by saving Dorcas, we see many other people believe. So we see God's purposes in saving her is to save these other people. So they were saved. They were raised spiritually from death to life themselves. And then verse 42 says, the news of the resurrection of Dorcas, because of the word, because of the power of Christ, because what had happened in her life, the gospel became known throughout all of Joppa. And then interestingly enough, look at, look at verse 43. It says, there we read that Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. And then the chapter ends. Seems like some sort of little random thing, doesn't it? Some, some sort of little notation, but this is no mere footnote. We have to understand in, in Jewish ideology or the way that Jews would have viewed a tanner, a tanner is obviously someone who skins animals and tans them into leather. And so to be around the skin, yeah, I see some smiles going out here. They're in the presence of bones and dead animals and hides because they skin them. And so being around these dead animals and touching them all the time would make them ceremonially unclean. They were kind of despised. That task, that job was despised by the Jews because they would remain ceremonially unclean because they were defiled by these, this constant touching of dead animals. And so, as a result, they could not go in Jewish eyes. They could, their, ceremonial, their ceremonial uncleanliness would inhibit them from entering into the temple to worship. But, who goes to stay with Simon the Tanner? An apostle. Jesus Christ, apostle Peter, goes and stays with this man that the Jews would have looked at and said, unclean. Unclean, dirty, dirty. And so what does this have to say? Or what it's actually putting the ball on the tee, setting up what's going to take place in the next two to three chapters. And what that is is Peter's pointing out to the people. He's showing to Jew and Gentile alike that he's no longer bound to these Jewish ceremonial laws. He's bound to God in Christ. He's bound to Christ and his gospel. And the gospel had been carried to the Jews, but now it's going to go forth to all of these unclean Gentiles. And so he's preparing to go forth with the gospel to the Gentile nations. That's what's pictured here. And spoiler alert, that's what you're going to see taking place throughout the next few chapters of Acts. There too, Peter is going to go and he's going to seek out people who are going to further the purposes and plans of God. So the gospel is going to go forth. Gentiles would be saved. God's church is going to continue to be built and to, to grow. And that was then. And so bridging the then to now to 2023... I'm here to tell you that this process is still taking place. Christ was building His church in Acts. Christ is still building His church presently 
today. Now, I want you to see this. Why the title, Peter, People, and the Purposes of God. If you go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 9, you have God who served as the messenger, right? He shows up on the Damascus road to a certain person, to Paul. Why did God go to Paul? In order to save Paul. The purpose of God was to save Paul. Why? So that Paul, in turn, could go out. The purpose of God was to preach the gospel, right? And so you have a person, uh, you, you have a, a, a person going to a, a, a pastor or a teacher, a messenger going to people for the purpose of God to save. In, in this text that we've looked at this morning, you have Peter, who is the messenger, the voice piece of God, who goes to Aeneas. What is his purpose in going to Aeneas? To save him physically from his paralysis. Either he had been saved spiritually already, or he was saved spiritually. So he goes to Aeneas, and as a result of saving Aeneas, who else was saved? Many. It says, all in Lada, all in Lod, believed. So we see the purposes of God was to save this one in order to save these many. We see the purposes of God in saving Paul was in order to save these many. And then we see it again here in the verses we've just looked at this morning. Peter goes to Dorcas, who was a believer, raises her from the dead by the miraculous power of God, and as a result of saving her, she had been saved physically and spiritually by God Almighty. Many came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So through the salvation of the one, many. Through the salvation of this one, many. God is building his church, and God is still building his church. So where do we fit in the picture? I want you to understand today that this is a part of your salvation history. These historical accounts that we just read is part of the links in the chain that got the gospel to you. You are here today because Peter went to Lydda. You are here today because Peter saved Aeneas, helped Aeneas. You are here today because Peter raised Dorcas and people saw and believed. And then throughout all of these years and all these many people that the gospel got to and they shared the gospel with somebody and they got to, the gospel got to you. And that is an amazing thing. The gospel got to you. From here... From here we see where it was. It was going out. It had not gone out. And it was going out. And it got here to Northport, Alabama. From Lot. From Joppa. It got here to Fed, Alabama. And even Barry. It made it there to Oakman even. Wow. That is grace. That is mercy. The gospel got to you. So do you see how this worked? Do you see how it worked in the early church? And you see how it works now. A pastor came to you, or a parent came to you, or a friend or a stranger came to you and got the gospel to you. And you were saved by the miraculous, mighty work, the amazing grace of a merciful God, and God saved you. And hopefully, if you're obedient to the command of Christ and the call of God, you've turned around and you've shared that with others so that through your salvation, others could be saved. 
Save, sharing the hope that you have within you, within others, so that they could go out and save others. So God, through messengers, got the gospel to you to save you in order to save others. We see in Scripture God blesses you in order to bless others. God saved you so that others can be saved. So this purpose remains. God's purpose still remains, and it will remain until He returns or calls you home. He is building His church. He is calling you to call others in order to build His church. God's work continues to go forth. God has given us, and we won't go into that, that's already been discussed, the apostles did the miracles. We're not apostles. We don't do the miraculous, but we've been given the Word of God, and the Word of God is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we bring forth good news. We preach. We proclaim. We share. We teach God's Word. It never goes out or returns void, but accomplishes exactly that for which it's been sent out to do, and it indeed is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we see the same thing that's happening in Acts still happening today, and I want you to think about that. You think about Paul, how the salvation of Paul affected so many. You see how in these two incidences, incidences, instances, the saving of Aeneas and Dorcas saved so many. Bring it up to closer historically. Somebody went to a Charles Spurgeon one day, shared the gospel with Haddon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Think about the ramifications of God's purpose in saving Spurgeon was to get the gospel out to so many others. You have Jonathan Edwards. You have John Piper. You have John MacArthur. You have Todd Bryant. You have Jacob West. You have Brian Farley. You have me. Someone got the gospel to them so that they got the gospel out to you and so that it could get out to others. And so this is me and you, church, because this is what you're called to do. You're saying, well, I'm not an apostle. No, you're not. Neither am I. But you're a Dorcas. You're a disciple. You're a follower. And if you're a follower, you should be ministering and you should be sharing this glorious gospel, this good news with those you come into contact with because by God's amazing grace, the gospel got to you and it saved you. And as a result of your, you can just like these say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was sick and sin and dying and dead, but now I live. And it's all by the miraculous, mighty work of God Almighty. And He can save you from your sin sickness. He can save you from your spiritual death and make you alive in Christ. So it is an amazing thing to think that we too as believers have been invited to be a part of getting the gospel out. God can and will use you to build His church. God can and use His power in and through you to save others and to glorify God. So the call today, well, how do we apply this? Be like Peter. He ministered to the masses, but we see here on a personal level, he went to people. And he went to these individuals. Now I know I've shared with you before, we call them divine appointments. God has saved you to go where you go to minister to people that I or Todd or none, nobody else in here will ever get to. That's your mission field. That's where God has put you in the world. That's your Lada. That's your Lod. That's your Joppa. 
And so you do what Peter did. You speak authoritatively the word of God and God in his power will save those whom he desires to save and as a result of that will save others. That is an amazing thing. It's called the Great Commission, right? As a believer, you're called to go ye therefore into all the world. He was going out into the Gentile world. You're to go wherever your neck of the woods is, Barry, Fed, Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, wherever, Florida. You're to go there, and that's your joppa. That's, that's your lot of, that's your lot. And let God work in and through you to, and, and because of your salvation, reach out to save others to grow his church. That is an amazing thing. In the same case as it was with Peter, we do this not for our glory. Peter made it abundantly clear that it wasn't for him, but for the glory of God. And as a result, the church grows, the believers are edified, and God is glorified. And that purpose is still why God is doing what he's doing today. It's an amazing thing that God's word continues to go forth. God continues to save. God continues to build the body of Christ for the glory of God so we can glorify him by going and by telling and by getting the gospel out and then that repeating and repeating and repeating until he returns or calls us home. This is exactly what Jesus said in the parable of the sower, right? Better yet, the parable of the seed. The soil for which was prepared, to which the seed fell on and received that seed, it grew up and bore fruit, some thirty, some a hundred, some a thousandfold. So God saved you for a reason, for a purpose. God saved you so that others, through your work and your ministry, as Peter's and all the apostles and all the disciples, could be saved and see Jesus. So know that you can make a difference. Know that you too can glorify God continue to build his church for the glory of God. Amen.